Okay, so first off, y'all need to raise your hands. Everybody, everybody raise your hand. One hand. Go for it. You're not dead. Okay, you're raising your hand. I'm talking to you. I'm going to need some, all the ameners are gone. They're all on a bus. Okay, and it's getting quiet in here. And I'm already half asleep. Okay, so if you be quiet, who knows where it's going to go. The other thing is this message, we, I, I was dealing with this message on Tuesday a little bit and got some of it done and then uh, some of it on the bus and then some of it after not so much sleep and some of it after some energy drinks. And I'm very concerned that this makes sense to me, but it will make sense to nobody else. So whether it makes sense to you or not, I need you to just shake your head, amen, just go with it, okay? It's the spirit behind it, okay? Just bless it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just go with it. Um, the guy said I have to give them a shout-out because they're supposed to be listening. And then they're, they're sitting there listening on the bus thinking, well, Brother Adam got to fly home on a plane and sleep in his own bed last night. But I had to fly with Don. Okay? So that's worse. I was telling the Sunday school leaders uh, this morning, uh, you know, you've heard that term of people having ice in their veins when they're just cool under pressure. Brother Don has Mountain Dew in his veins. That guy was carrying around a liter of Mountain Dew everywhere he went this weekend. So if you're wondering why he was a little frantic in Sunday school this morning, well, normally, number one, he's that way. And then number two, he's just to the brim with Mountain Dew. Okay. Uh, this morning, uh, so shout out to the guys. Um, they, they should get in hopefully around 1230 or so, just depending on how many potty breaks they got to take. Um, it's, it won't, won't tell you who's behind that, but it rhymes with, Andrew Patton, so, <laughs> so, Andrew Marcus told me to say that, that was not the case this year, that was not the case this year, Andrew said, I will hold it, we're good, if I get a UTI, I don't care, it's not going to be my fault this year that we're late, so, so we made it, it was a blessing, we had a good time, guys being guys and just being together on the bus, it is a blessing, it's fun, that camaraderie side of things. But making it down there, um, it, it, we did pretty well on the way down. The Lord blessed, and we hit some snow and some ice near Wyoming. Uh, some of our guys were not prepared, and so a couple of our guys came out of a gas station wearing Wyoming sweatshirts. Um, so we, we razzed them pretty good about that. Um, we told them we'd drop them back off home on the way back. Uh, and then, you know, just not, not used to that ice and snow. It was pretty cold uh, through Wyoming, but it, it opened back up. We got there in plenty of time to get a little bit of rest and, and showers and stuff before it all started. But it, it's literally driving down there. It's about 24, 25 hours total after we, after we get down there. We had about 45 minutes in the hotel to freshen up, and then we were already at the service at 6 o'clock. Uh, started at 7. We went till about 11 o'clock or so. Went back to the hotel, got back there midnight-ish, um, fell back asleep, and then we were up at 6, and then uh, right back in, sitting down in the services some more. It was a blessing, though. Uh, those services are amazing. I don't want to spill the beans too much because next Sunday night the men are going to get up here and kind of go through, uh, you know, what what they got from it, and, and I don't want to just spill the beans too much. But but the singing is amazing. You know, Brother Don was saying that his ears haven't popped from coming back down on the plane because he's, he's got less young ears than I do, uh, so he couldn't hear half of what I was saying uh, the whole trip. But I, just, I told him it doesn't matter. I, I, I tuned you out a long time ago, so... <laughs> But uh, the singing there is amazing. You, you, it's hard to explain, and you, you honestly can't. My voice is almost gone. Um, singing at the top of your lungs, and you can't even hear yourself. It, it, it just shakes, shakes the room, and it, it's such a blessing to be a part of that. But stay in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll get on with the message here. Like I said, if it don't make sense, just amen anyway, okay? Amen anyway. There, there we go. So uh, there's a group of tourists that were visiting a picturesque village. And they walked by an old man sitting beside a fence. And in a rather pa- patronizing type of way, the tourist asked him, were there any great men that were born in this village? And the old, old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> only babies. It's true. No great men are born uh, besides one, but uh, everybody else was born as babies. 
Uh, when I got saved, I was eight years old. I got saved. My grandma led me to the Lord, and I've told this story before, but uh, there's a house on the corner of Linder and Franklin, and it's not well taken care of, and it'll probably be demolished soon. But when I drive by there, I remember I was in that living room kneeling down uh, on an old Indian drum style, just footrest. Grandpa was into that kind of stuff. Uh, right across the, the, the way was a whole bookshelf full of leather-bound Louis L'Amour books. So that's, that's the environment that I was in. But I was sitting on that Indian drum and, and just feeling the weight of my sin, and Grandma led me to the Lord there. And I was eight years old. Grandma brought me to church with grandparents. That's invaluable. The influence that you can have on your grandchildren and their children, it's amazing. If it wasn't for my grandma, uh, I wouldn't be saved today. But I got saved when I was eight years old. I, I didn't get into church like I should have been until I was around 16 years old, a sophomore in high school. And, and it's amazing to look back on those years. It was only eight or so years uh, but being in public school and with the friends that I had and things like that, it's amazing to see even though the condition that I was in, I was saved, I was backslidden. I didn't even know I was backslidden. I didn't know what backslidden was. But to see God's hand throughout those years is honestly amazing. To see God protect me from so many different things and from so many different roads that it could have gone down, to have some kind of a discernment that was given to me uh, that through him that... Uh, that, you know, an 8 to 16-year-old probably shouldn't have. But it's amazing. It's amazing that he would leave the 99 for the 1. It really is. I'm so thankful that he does those things. But here's the thing. I got saved when I was 8 years old. I never really went to church with any regularity. Like I said, I was backslidden and didn't even know I was backslidden. I didn't know what backslidden was. I didn't have really any spiritual maturity. I didn't have any spiritual discernment. And I was what you would call a babe in Christ. Brother Don talked about that a little bit this morning. It's amazing how messages kind of start to go together. Because I printed that lesson out for Brother Don, but I didn't read it. I had no idea what I handed him. But I was what you'd call a babe in Christ. I didn't understand what the meat of God's word says and Anything that would take some spiritual understanding to really know, I didn't have that. I think of last week we talked about Nicodemus a little bit. And Nicodemus didn't have that spiritual understanding to know what it means you must be born again. When he heard that, he said, I I don't understand what you're saying. I must be born again. How how can a man be born when he's old, he said. It doesn't make any sense. He didn't have the spiritual discernment to see that. He honestly should have known that. He knew the scriptures. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He knew those things. And he should have known that there was a coming Messiah. And he should have known better that when he went to Jesus and he saw that he said, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher from God because no man can do the things that you do. He should have had some spiritual discernment to know there's a Messiah coming that said he was going to do those things. But just a knowledge of God doesn't mean you have spiritual discernment. Think about the the woman at the well. We talked about her last week as well. When Jesus said, I'm the living water. And she didn't understand that quite at first either. But she came to the conclusion of who Jesus was a whole lot faster than Nicodemus did. Because spiritual discernment, just that little bit of discernment of knowing the condition that I'm in. That woman at the well knew exactly who she was. She knew how many husbands she had had. She had told the Lord, rightly so, exactly how many. Or that she she didn't have a husband. She didn't lie to him about it. But a great man or a great woman, they're not born that way. They're born as babies. And babies grow into toddlers. And toddlers grow into kids. And kids grow into monsters. Uh, Teenagers, sorry. I get those mixed up. What's the word for when one word can mean multiple things? There you go, that one. So, but even teenagers grow into young adults, and young adults grow into adults, and adults grow into less young adults, whose ears don't pop when they come down from the airplanes anymore. But you can't stop physical growth. It's going to happen. 
You're going to get old. You're going to grow. A baby grows. That's what they do. However, you can stop spiritual growth. And whether a new believer is six years old when they get saved or 60 years old when they get saved, they're still a babe in Christ. Your physical age no longer matters. Because there are some baby Christians here who have been saved for 40 years. That's not a good thing. There are some people who have been saved for 40 years, 50 years, and are still in that same condition. Still a babe in Christ. Honestly, it's a tragedy. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But God intends for us to grow. He intends for us to move. He intends for us to mature. And if you want to grow, you can't stay where you are. You can't stay where you're at. First thing, I think of Christians who have been coming to church for a very long time. You think of those Christians who have been saved for 30, 40 years. How many of you have been saved? Raise your hand. Over, over 30 years. Amen. Over 40 years. 50 years. Have you all arrived? You got it all down? It's perfect now? You got 50 years to do it right. Because if you want to keep growing, you can't stay where you're at. You never arrive. You're not there. And you can't stay there if you want to grow. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 1, 6, the Bible says, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. They're still on the other side of Jordan. They have not made it to the promised land. They've been in the wilderness at this point for 40 years, the Bible says. And Moses here is saying, you have dwelt long enough in this mount. Moses is telling the children of Israel, you can't stay here anymore. You can't be like this anymore. Where is here? The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And just when it seems like they're going to go the right way, something else happens. And spiritual immaturity or unwillingness to grow in the Lord, something pops up. And we talked about this last week. It's amazing what they have seen. It's amazing that the Lord has worked so many miracles and wondrous works and worked in wonderful ways for them. You think about them being in the exodus from bondage from Egypt. You think about Pharaoh's armies being destroyed. You think about the Red Sea parting and walls of water on both sides of them, but they walk through on dry land. Say, Brother Adam, do you really believe there was walls of water like that? I do, because the Bible says there was walls of water like that. I believe when they were walking through, if they looked over, they'd see some fish swimming. I think it was walls of water. They walked there on dry land. And then Pharaoh's armies came in after them and were destroyed by those same walls of water. The pillar of fire that led them by night, the cloud by day, manna from heaven. We talked about this last week, but their clothes never wearing out. We bought Quinn a pair of shoes. It lasted a week. I would love that. It would be amazing. One week. I'm still mad about it. (laughs) One week. They saw water gushing out from the rock. They saw miracles. They saw miracles. Can you imagine seeing those things and seeing God do those things? But they'd seen so much, they never really learned from what they had seen. They'd they'd seen God work in so many different ways that that the miraculous, the miraculous had become the mundane. The extraordinary had become the ordinary. The unexpected became the expected. It wasn't because God wasn't working. It wasn't because God wasn't working. Now, the children of Israel, where they are, they've been moving, but they've been gaining no ground. They're still back up against the Red Sea at this point. But God had a place for them. He had a plan for them. He had a will for their lives. But this is where they are right now. In this passage of Scripture, they are are on this side of Jordan still. And Moses is telling them, you you can't stay here anymore. 
You can't do this anymore. So this morning, the question is, where are you? It's easy enough to not be where we should be. It really is. We like to look at the children of Israel and and see what happened in their lives and how God worked wonderful things. But it's very easy to not be where you should be. Say, Brother Adam, I'm I'm in church this morning. That's where I should be. You are a thousand percent right. This is exactly where you're supposed to be. But listen, you are physically in church. You have drugged your body to the house of God this morning. That's how me and Don got here. We drug ourselves. And I'm thankful for that. I'm, I'm thankful to come to church and see a bunch of people of like faith serving God and doing their best to glorify him in a service. It's wonderful. But you can be physically in church. Your body can be here. Remember that body that grows old? You can be here. But spiritually, you cannot be here. And I can say that's true because I've been there. You can be here, and because you know it's the the right thing to do, but you're not here to necessarily worship the Lord in any real way. You're not here to let the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword pierce the hard heart that you got. Not, Not willing to let God change you in any way. The Bible says in James that you become a hearer of the word and not a doer, deceiving your own selves. Now, if you're hearing the word, where are you? Yeah, that's us. That's us. We're the ones that hear the word. But we we fail to become a doer of the word, just a hearer of the word. We no longer let the word of God work in our hearts and in our lives. And when we become just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, the Bible says we deceive our own selves. And you can come to church for 40 years and being every single service, but if you don't let the word of God dwell in you richly, if you don't let it produce something in your life, it affects your heart, if you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer, the Bible says you're deceiving yourselves. That I'm deceiving myself. That each service that goes by, we're just deceiving ourselves more and more. To think that we can sit in a service, that we can stay where we're at and expect God to do something. We deceive ourselves. And some, you could say this is kind of like being in the wilderness. It's almost exactly like being in the wilderness. Hey, I need y'all to wake up a little bit. I'm sorry. I need y'all to wake up just a little bit. I know it's a little bit more serious, but it's okay to say amen to some stuff because you're putting me to sleep. So some could say this is like being in the wilderness, and this is like going through the motions and never moving forward. It's like coming to church every single week and nothing ever changing. That you come to church on a Wednesday night, you come to church on a Sunday morning, you come to church on a, on a Sunday night. It is a good thing to be in church. This is exactly where we need to be. The word of God is being preached here, but... We should be doers of the word and not hearers only. We are here for a purpose, for God to actually do something in our lives. Now, some have been in the spot when you're stuck in the same routine, but you can remember when times were better. You remember, that the, the, you remember the miraculous. You remember the amazing times. You remember when Jesus saved you? No, that's when you say amen. Do you remember when Jesus saved you? Do you remember the condition that you were in? You remember when, when, when he reached down and pulled you from the miry clay? When he pulled you up? I was eight years old, and I still remember how I felt. I still remember the preacher preaching, and I don't even remember who was preaching. But I remember him preaching about hell, and I remember being eight years old, scared to death that that's the place that I would go. And I remember being faced as an eight-year-old with my sin. It's amazing. What about when he saved one of your family members? What about your kids? What about when he helped you with one of your relationships, your marriage? What about when he gave you peace when you had a loss? What about when he used you? What about when he used you to witness to people, to your family members, to your grandkids? 
You remember that? When you saw people's lives getting changed, when you saw people getting saved because you were willing to go and do something for them, because you, you're not just a hearer of the word, you're a doer of the word, and you're willing to go to the neighbor and invite them to church. I'm so thankful to see some of the folks in here start bringing neighbors to church. It's a blessing. It means they're out there doing something with what they've been given. Just like last week, they're out there pointing people to Jesus, which is our job, by the way. Our job is not, not to do anything more than to say, you know what, you need to look over there. Just like that serpent that was up on the pole we talked about last week. And I know this part's heavy. But if you remember the goodness of God, the the miraculous things that he's done in our lives and in our hearts. But now we sing Amazing Grace. And Christian, this is a tough spot to be in. We sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I was, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. But we can come to church and we can sing that song because we've sang it so many times. And we no longer let things in. We no longer let it affect us the way it used to. John 3.16. How many, raise your hand, how many of you can recite that verse from memory? We can spout that thing off pretty fast. For God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but everlasting life. Sword drill, I win. (laughs) But we start thinking of verses like that. Yeah, I know that verse. Yeah, I've heard that verse. Yeah, I've heard that verse preached before. I've heard those salvation messages before. But when we start to hear those things, it no longer has an effect on us. We become hardened somehow to those things. The preaching that that used to convict that used to inspire, that used to create a fire within me. It doesn't do anything anymore. Because the miraculous has become the mundane. The extraordinary has become the ordinary. And the unexpected has become the expected. Now, church can become rehearsed. You know exactly how it's going to go. Some of you came to church today and you knew exactly how this service was going to go. There's not going to be any fire today. We're going to sing the same songs that we've always sang. It's going to be a message that I've heard before. There's there's no more unexpected because we won't let it be. Now you can look back 10 years in your life and I want you to do that. Look back 10 years in your life and and, and look where you are now. Understand it's heavy. Look where you are now. Are you any closer to God than what you were? Are you in the same spot? Are you in the same spot? So just like Moses, Christian, you can't stay here. You can't stay here. Now we're going to pick it up just a little bit. I want you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. But when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the Old Testament, we can see the children of Israel... And we can see their failures. We can see their faults. We can see it in black and white right on the page in front of us. And we can see and we can judge and we can look at what they should have done differently. And they should have done some things differently. We can see the complaining. I hate the complaining. I hate the complaining. I hate that sometimes I can have that complaining spirit. I hate that about myself. But God hates complaining. You ever do something amazing for your kids? 
I, I, I've told this story before. Becca's laughing already. I t- so we took, we, Ellie, for the first time in a long time, went and stayed at my mom's house. We had Quinn alone at the house. And so we decided to go take Quinn out. Let's have a good night. Let's go have a fun night, just us and him. No Ellie to scratch him, punch him, claw him, beat him up. He's, he's going to have a good night. So we take him out to go get some ice cream, and we go into the ice cream shop, and we're over there in Caldwell in that little plaza area. And, and we go in there to, for him to get some ice cream, and he doesn't like any of the ice cream that's in that ice cream store. He wants to go to the other ice cream store, which there is one. And so me and Becca, the great parents that we are, go with it. <laughs> we want to have a good night. And I know you all have been there where you're like, I want to have a good night. This is supposed to be a fun night. So we go to the other ice cream store. Nothing there either. <laughs> he wants to go back to the first one. <laughs> and dude... You are pushing buttons. So the great parents that we are, we went back to the first one. This will shut him up. You know, we, here we go. So we go back to the first one. He gets his ice cream. Uh, there's kids out playing in the fountain. And we're like, man, we didn't bring any, any swimming stuff for you. You can just go, go have fun. Go get wet. It's okay. We're still close to home. Like, we can ride home. We got a blanket or something. We'll cover you up. It's fine. So he goes and walks up to the, the, the water, and he just stands there. And so we're like, just go play, man. And so he comes back, and he's, he said, I don't want to go out there. I want all the kids to leave, and then I want to go out there. So at that point, we're like, dude, we're done. We're done. So I grab his hand, and you would have thought, you would have thought I shot him. Everybody there thought I was stealing a kid, okay? <laughs> the biggest fit we have ever seen. I mean, just out of nowhere. And he is not normally like that, but it just came crashing down to the point where I'm holding him under my arm and just walking and just, you know, which makes it look even worse. So we get him in the car, and, and that fun night that we had planned to, to, to watch movies and eat some ice cream, and we're going to pull his bed out, and we're going to have a sleepover right in the living room, just the three of us, and, and have a good night. Those plans all go by the wayside. And, and it's, it's uh, straight to bed after a talking to. Just that complaining side of it. It, it makes you not want to do anything nice for him again. I'm, I'm thankful God isn't necessarily that way. But you look at the children of Israel, the bad decisions, the, the golden calf, and how easy it was for them to turn away from God and, and turn towards other gods, even though they'd seen God do amazing things, miraculous things in their lives. It, it, it's easy to look and to judge them on, on what they should have been, but... There are some things they should have been. But there's also some things that we're supposed to be too. There's some things that we should be as a Christian. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 17 through 20, Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's rebuking the Gentiles there that they walk not as other Gentiles walk because they've learned Christ. And because they've learned Christ, there's a different way to walk. We're supposed to do things a little bit differently as Christians. We're supposed to, to, we have a different motive to do things different. No, it is right. It's a good thing. And we don't need to shy away from that. There are some things that we are supposed to do, and there are some things we are supposed to be as a Christian. In Ephesians chapter 4, look in verse 21. It says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. So right there it tells us that we should put off the old man. In verse 23, we're supposed to be renewed by the spirit of our minds. And in verse 24, we're supposed to put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In verse 25, we're supposed to put away lying and speak the truth with his neighbor. We're supposed to, in verse 26, be angry and sin not. To not let the sun go down upon our wrath, neither give place to the devil. We're supposed to keep our tempers in control. Because the Bible says if we don't keep those tempers in control, that you can give place to the devil. You give him a foothold in. He's got a way to get into you. He's got a way in if you, let, if you don't let that, if you let that temper just roll. Look at 
Verse 28 says, let him, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Verse 29, we're not supposed to let corrupt communications come out of our mouth. We're not supposed to let corrupt communications come out of our mouth. And I'm not just talking about cussing, but I am talking about cussing. We're not supposed to let those things come out of our mouth. Why? Because we're supposed to walk a little bit differently. Because we have a different motive in those things. Because we represent something a little bit different. It's true. But not just that. Corrupt communications also mean the things that come out of our mouth. James talks about a little fire. A little fire of spreading things. Just like a fire spreads and a little fire could become a big fire pretty quick. It could become a big fire really quick. And in a church, those mouths that are, that are speaking lies and untruths and, and, and spreading things that don't need to be spread can become a big thing pretty fast. And we're not supposed to let those corrupt communications come out of our mouth. And we're not supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. We're not supposed to grieve that Holy Spirit whereby we are sealed into the day of redemption. And if you're saved here today, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you and you are sealed into the day of redemption. No matter how you talk. That's the, you, you, you talk a little bit differently. You may walk a little bit differently. You may walk the wrong way at times. You may walk in circles like the children of Israel did. But if you're saved here today, even if you've been in that same spot, you're still saved. Your salvation has nothing to do with you. You're keeping, keeping your salvation has nothing to do with you. Verse 31, let all bitterness... That's a big word. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It's malice is to regard with extreme ill will. It's all things we're supposed to be. All things we should be. Verse 32. And be ye kind. Be ye kind one to another. Christian, we... we are to be kind. The Bible says we're supposed to be kind. Kind one to another. I've heard it said that kind is not a fruit of the Spirit. And that's just a, 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 something that's said to, to make it okay to be a little bit nasty with one another. But there are a lot of the fruits of the Spirit's love and joy and peace and gentleness and faith and meekness and temperance. Uh, all those things, but the Bible says we are supposed to be kind and tender-hearted. When I, I think of tender-hearted, and I was thinking about during this message, I think about being tender-hearted towards those people that are coming in, and, and, and visitors and things like that that are coming in that are looking for a place just like this, just like when you came in and you were looking for a place just like this. And this church is, is going to grow, Lord willing. Uh, I pray it does. Because that just means more people have a church just like this. And there's, there's this feeling, there's this fear that as the church grows, that the people who are here are no longer going to have a place here because now it's too big. And that's not the case at all. If you're tender-hearted, if a church has that family atmosphere where you love for one another and pray for one another, it doesn't matter how big the family gets, it's still a family. But let all bitterness and wrath and, uh, sorry, verse 32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted and forgiving. We talked about that last week. How dare we not be forgiving? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And this is exactly what we should be. This is what we should be as a Christian. Now, there's an ongoing effort. There is a struggle. There's a war within you. And if you're not fighting that war, you're losing that war. And if you're not in pursuit of it, you're losing ground. But we measure ourselves, just like we measure the children of Israel in that time. We measure them on what they should have been. We measure them on what they should be. And there is something that we should be. We should walk a little bit differently. Uh, Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses is saying, you you can't stay here. He says, turn ye, in verse 7. Turn you and make a change. There's something that we should be for the Lord. But sometimes we need to make a turn because here's the thought. 
Let's just get to the thought. We are measured by what we could be, not just by what we should be. We are measured by what we could be, not just by what we should be. I mean, we think about what we could be for the Lord. Some of us here this morning would say, I, I know I need to be more for God. I need to, need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need help with my temper. I need help with my tongue, with what I say in my daily walk with Jesus, uh, maybe not grieving the Holy Spirit. But if, if God wants us something from us, if he wants us to be something, if, if we should be something, then he makes a way for us to be that something. There is a way we can be that something. If we should be something then God makes a way for us to be something. We're, we're measured by what we could be, not just by what we should be. Look at, look at verse 7, Deuteronomy 1.7. He says, turn you and take your journey. Turn you. Wandering in the wilderness is a hard place to be in the life of a Christian. It, it is. It's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be in the life of a Christian. When we come to church never expecting to see anything different from God, when the gospel being preached no longer has an effect on us like it should, when we're singing great hymns of the faith and, and, and it no longer stirs the spirit within us, when we come to church like that, it is a dark place to be. And it does happen. It does happen. And, and it doesn't happen because... We have structure in church. Uh, we got up here this morning, and like I said, my brain is somewhere over Salt Lake City, but with Don's ears. <laughs> Sorry, Don. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. But it, it, it does happen, and, and it's not because when, when we're going through all, all of the, the service planning for, for this morning and trying to figure out, it's, it's hilarious to me. Because I was praying with the men back there. Those men that were up here on the stage today, besides Brother Marcus, just got chosen because they were wearing a suit today. And, I, and, and both of them were just, oh. And I was like, well, serves you right. So, <laughs> But we think about the, the predictability of our services at times. And we have a song and then we have handshaking, and then we have a song, and then we have offering, and then we have announcements, and then we have a song, and then we have preaching, and then we have an invitation, and then we have a song, and then we have lunch. Some of you are there now. (laughs) There's predictability to the way we have a service and the way that it's run, but honestly, that's not the issue. The the problem is, is your response to the song. It is. Your problem is the response to the handshaking. It is. Your, your, your problem is a response with the song, with the giving, with, even with the announcements, what you're not going to be involved in. The preaching, another song, Invitation. Lunch you got down. Lunch you got down. But I want you to think about this. This is another thought. Christ, he doesn't become stale. Christ doesn't become stale. He never changes. We talked about that this morning. He never changes. He's the exact same as he's been. The problem is something else. I love how the disciples in Matthew 26, verses 22 through, or 20 through 22, when Jesus went into his disciples and he said, one of you are going to betray me. And, and I love that their response was, it, it wasn't, well, then Jesus, you must be the problem. Their, their response was, is it I? Is it me? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And that needs to be the response to the ruts that are in our lives. It's, it's is it me? And, and lastly, we're going to look at this. The Bible says, turn you and, and take your journey. The, the best way to get out of the wilderness, to stop going in those circles, to get out of that rut, and I understand it's a heavier message, but to get out of that rut that you're in, to quit, quit going in circles, the, the easiest way to get out of going in a circle is just turn the other way. You guys ever watch NASCAR races? They're exhilarating. 
It's a left-hand turn. And then another left-hand turn. And then to switch things up, left-hand turn. And to bring it home, left-hand turn. It's amazing. You just got to make a turn. Moses was telling the children of Israel, you, you've been here long enough. It's time to turn. It's time to go to the mount of the Amorites and the places nigh on there too. In the plains, it says in verse 7, in the hills and the vale in the south and the, the seaside and the lands of the Canaanites and Lebanon and the great river Euphrates. He's telling them God has great places for you to go. He doesn't intend for you to be here. You, gotta, you can't stay here. You can see God do amazing things, but you've you got to take a turn. You've got to take a turn. The one thing that, that, that you look at is Moses here. These guys are getting ready to go into battle. If you think about it, as soon as they go in, they hit Ai, they hit Jericho, they, they hit war. And Moses isn't telling them that, they, that it's great strategies of war. They're not going over what the infantry is supposed to do. They're not going over those things. They're... Sorry, guys. They are... He's telling them what to do concerning their duty to God. But it's the same for us. Anything he wants us to do, he has, he's made it possible for us to do. And in, in Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But in Romans chapter 7, we see Paul, and we see Paul struggling with the flesh. And we see Paul saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I I do, I don't want to do. And he says that over and over, and and it's because he has flesh, and there's a war going on within himself of of the spirit and the flesh, the the, the new man and the old man. And and, and it's this this war between them until you get down to the last verse, and he says, I I thank Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's the answer of getting through those things. says, Paul, Paul is struggling with those things, and, he, and he's saying, I, I know what I should be, but with Christ, I know that I can be. We're measured by what we could be and not just by what we should be. The will of God is a product of a walk with God. The will of God is a product of a walk with God. Meaning we, we, we want to know what the will of God is in our lives and, and what he wants us to do and which turns he wants us to make and, and where he wants us to go. And, and, and we want to end up in, in those places that God has promised. Everything that, that he says in verse 7 into the, the plain and the hills and the vale and the south and the seaside and the land of the Canaanites, not just here. God, I, I, I want to be in those places. I want to be in your will. But the will of God is a product of a walk with God. Meaning we, we, we want to know what the will of God is in our life and what he wants us to do. But, but that will be revealed when we start moving towards him. When we take a turn and start moving towards him. It does take some spiritual discernment. It takes some spiritual discernment. And Brother Don was talking about that a little bit this morning. And that's in the message that, that uh, we're going to skip over just once again for sake of time. But that... As a babe in Christ, the Bible says it's milk. It's milk that you have, but the, the meat of the word of God, to grow in God's word, you've got to get into the meat of the word of God. But you've got to make a turn somewhere. So to make that turn, to make that turn, you have to humble yourself and know enough to know that you may be the problem. The services aren't the issue. How we structure the services aren't the issue. That, 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 that is a problem nowadays as far as how churches react to that. Because people, that telltale sign of, of seeing that is people like to say, well, I'm not being fed anymore. I'm not being fed anymore. So churches overreact to that side and just say, well, then let's, let's, let's do, do more. Let's, let's have some, some flashy lights. Let's have some, some fog machines. Let's get some, some music that'll just stir it up. But that's not taking a turn. That's just making the wandering a little more exciting. Yeah. 
Not that I wouldn't want to run through a fog machine. (laughs) But that's not going to change anything. That's not going to turn us anywhere. The problem isn't with the services. The problem isn't with Christ. He's the exact same as he was yesterday and today and forever. The problem we have to realize, just like the disciples realized, Lord, is it me? Is it I? And getting down on our knees and praying, search me, God. Is there, is there sin in my life? Is there, is there something, God, that, that I need to change in my life? And if you're honest with God and honest with your intentions before God and getting on your knees before God, even if you don't know what it is, he's a good God. He'll bring it to your mind. And that's when amazing, it, it, it's amazing that if, if he wants you to change something, Not only will he let you know what you need to change, but he'll give you the power to change it. Because if he wants you to be something, if we should be something, he's made a way for us to be that. So take a turn, point yourself towards him, make a move in that direction. Come come to church willing to change. I know I'm sweating. Come to church willing to change. Never come to church predicting the outcome of a service. Never come to church predicting the outcome of a service. Because what that says, that says nothing more than that you're not willing to change something. If you know exactly how that church service is going to go, I know how Sunday morning's going to go, I know how Sunday night's going to go, I know how Wednesday night's going to go. You know how it's going to go because you're not willing to change anything. You're not willing to come forward and do business with God. You're not willing to to let the extraordinary be extraordinary again. Come with a sense that God can change lives, that he can change my life, that he can work in my life, that he can help me today. No, he's amazing. He's amazing. He is wonderful, and he can do the unexpected. He can do the miraculous, but in order to do that, in order to do that, you've got to get over yourself. Because that's the problem. If we're not where we should be, if God is, is talking to you this morning and just saying, you know what, you can't stay here anymore. And I'm not talking about your body in this church. This is exactly where you should be. But if you're not willing to say, God, I, I, I can't stay here anymore. I've been here long enough. God, I want those things. I want that land. I I want those things that that, that you can do in my life. Because, God, I'm not measured by just what I should be. I'm not measured by a box of check marks. I'm not. I'm measured by what I could be for you. Last thing. When I was younger... The garbage man stole my bottle. He did. It's, it's the ploy that my mom used to get me off a bottle. So the garbage man stole my bottle. And every day, for months, I would stand at the blinds and watch that garbage man. I held hatred in my heart for him for years. Still not a big fan of garbage men. (laughs) My mom told that story to Quinn, so Quinn came up and, Dad, why don't you like the garbage man? It's like, dude, that was 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. I would have been six with a bottle. (laughs) And the truth shall set you free. But we can blame a lot of things on our lack of growth, on our unwillingness to grow, on things around us. We can blame it on the church that we're in. We can blame it on a pastor. We can blame it on people that are sitting next to us. We can blame it on our children. You can blame it on your spouse. You can blame God. That's not the issue. The issue is you just can't stay here anymore. You've got to grow. You've got to grow.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Folks, I know this message is one of those that's a little bit heavier on that side. And I know with my sleep-deprived state, it may not have been delivered the way that I thought it should have. But I hope that God can use it. Because, Christian, if, if you're in that spot, I've been there. It's, it's not a fun spot to be in. If you're, if you're in that spot where it's a rut, you are just coming to church every single week and nothing is changing in your lives. As a matter of fact, it feels like you're getting further away from God. It, 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 it's a hard spot to be in. Those songs, they don't mean anything to you anymore. The, reading your Bible is tough because it, it, it just doesn't speak to you anymore. And, and you look around and you think, well, why, I'm in a bad spot. This morning, you, you can't stay there. You can't stay in that spot. You're never going to be what you could be. And we're not measured by what we should be alone, but by what we could be for God. So this morning, if you're in that spot, it's time to take a turn. It's time to get out of there. You can't stay there anymore. And all you have to do is come to an altar like this. Bow your head where you're at. Because just like Paul wrestling with the flesh, the answer's not in you, it's in Jesus. And if you go to Jesus and say, God, I'm in this spot, I'm in a bad spot, I can't stay here anymore. It's it's, It's not a good spot to be in. I can't wander like this anymore. There's no purpose in this. God, I want what you want for me that he will show you how to make that turn. Some of y'all are, are, are in a better spot. You think about those Christians that have been saved for 50 years. Number one, that's a blessing. That's amazing to see. 50 years and still in church. But you're still in church because you you have to realize that I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. But you can still be in church and you can be in church for years and still be in that cycle of circles, that, that endless cycle of, of just wandering through the wilderness. And so this morning, the altar's open. If God has talked to you, if he's telling you, you just can't stay in this condition anymore, then do what Paul did. Go to, go to Jesus. This morning, the altar's open as Brother Marcus sings.